Welcome to the Other Woman and the Wife podcast, where we delve into the complex and often taboo topic of infidelity. I'm your host, Chelsea, and in this episode, I am joined by my business partner and co-host, which I'm trying to get him to be, Kevin. And we are going to go through some of the questions that you guys have sent us. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for being here. Pro bono, right? Yeah, of course. Of course. (laughs) All right. So we have the first question from Sarah. She says, six years ago, I had my first affair. It came out of nowhere and was purely lost. It ended horribly and I had a breakdown. My husband supported me all the way through my breakdown, but never found out. But the guilt has been so consuming, I've never really recovered and I just don't feel anything for my husband anymore. I've stuck with a relationship for the past six years because we have young children together and I know if we separated, he wouldn't be able to financially support himself. I've since had sexual partners as I just can't bring myself to be sexually intimate with my husband. It's been three years. I know I need to get out, but I just can't bear the thought of hurting him and our child. I really feel like he has absolutely no idea how I feel and ending things will come as a complete shock. How would you go about ending things without completely breaking him? Damn. Yeah, damn. This sounds like a woman who is very afraid to voice her thoughts and feelings to people that she is loved by. Like, I don't know her husband, but it doesn't sound like there's any animosity there. Like, there's no reason other than her own self-preservation for her not to share what she thinks and feels with him. And as far as the guilt being all consuming, like this is what I think about guilt. I think that guilt is a knowing, right? Like I am guilty of cheating on my first husband. I think that knowing that allows me to change my behavior. I think that if I carried more shame than necessary about that, I I wouldn't be asking for help. So I don't think that she is consumed by guilt. I think that she is consumed by shame over what she did. And since she is over since she is consumed with shame, she's actually not speaking up to get the help that she needs. Because you know, she said that her first affair was what, 6 years ago and she had a breakdown, but her husband doesn't know anything about these affairs. So why is it that she doesn't feel safe speaking up to him in order to allow him to help her, you know? But I, I'm a firm believer of like blowing shit up. Obviously, I have blown up Pandora's box on the internet about infidelity by like doing this whole campaign of such. Uh, Burn the so, boats. What? Burn the boats. I burned the boats, Yeah. I'm like, I think you, I think you spill, man. Like, I think you spill your, your guts out to somebody else and you just, you really are honest with them. Like, I need help. I don't understand why I behave the way that I do. And I don't know why I cannot give voice to my thoughts and my feelings in a transparent, authentic way. And I think when we don't give voice to our thoughts and our feelings, it's because we're ashamed of them. And so it's like this perpetual thing, right? Like 
shame perpetuates pattern. And it almost seems like that's exactly what she's in. I think that Brene Brown says that like guilt creates change, shame creates pattern. And I, I mean, that couldn't be further from the truth because even after the affair, right? Like after the affair, I was still ashamed of who I was. Like I was ashamed of my actual story. I was ashamed of who I fell in love with. Um, because my feelings towards Stan really, you know, they changed over time. It was like, oh my gosh, I'm madly in love with you to like, oh my gosh, you're disgusting. How could I ever fall in love with you to a more mature, like, oh, I see you as an individual, a human being who comes with an entire background that I can appreciate. And I can appreciate that we have a different value system. And we come together on a lot of common threads and we enjoy each other. Like we don't have to be the same person to appreciate each other. But as far as like not breaking him, like, I'm sorry, girl, you already did. And who knows how he responds, right? Like some of these marriages, both people are cheating. Both people are cheating. They don't know that the other one is cheating. And then all of a sudden one of them comes and is like, I have cheated on you. And then the other person goes, well, shit, me too. Three years without sex in a marriage. So does that mean that like a human just stops desiring sex? I don't think so. I think you're meeting your needs elsewhere, whether you have, you know, your own personal satisfaction addiction of sort that doesn't make you a compatible person in the bedroom. I think that's important for individuals in marriages to be discussing and like call it when you call it like this this woman has a child she has a child so what she is modeling for her child is how to be ashamed of herself how to live in deceit and how to like ultimately i think that it's really difficult to be a present parent when you are committing acts of deceit um i think that it stifles your self-expression in an, in, in an authentic way, which prevents you from being present in the moment. And like, why, why wouldn't you consider your satisfaction important? Why wouldn't having a healthy marriage be something that you want to model for your children? Like, why are we modeling dead marriages to the kids? Um, and I think that there's creative ways that people can go about like the finances and stuff like that. Like we don't have to have all of these secrets inside of a home to have a happy home. You know, if anything, I think it detracts from the happy home. These people think that they're living up to some social construct that's going to deliver happiness to their child. You know, like this picturesque, like, oh, we have the house, the kids, the dogs, this white picket fence. And, um... I'm miserable inside. It's like you're modeling for the outside. But yeah, inside. you are. You're, you're modeling to your children an addiction and misery. That's what I think. Without knowing it. Without knowing it. I mean, if you can't express your thoughts and your feelings inside of your home, what makes you think your kids are going to feel safe enough to express their own thoughts and feelings? Yeah. Right? And so what do the kids do? They medicate. They medicate to dull their own thoughts and feelings and they get trapped in the cycle of misery. It's also one of those stories where like it was someone in the emails, they said that they wanted to wait until their kids are like 18 <laughs> and then they actually did it 
And then kids are basically just, how do you say that? Like the, are, It's a paradigm shift for the kids because they're like, oh, my parents are happily married. I'm going to go to college and my parents are always going to be there and I'm going to come home to the house that was my happy home in my childhood. And then their entire worldview is shifted by the fact that their yeah. parents now are like, oh, I lied. I wasn't happy. I'm ready to depart the marriage. Um, I stayed, I stayed in the marriage until you were ready to go off to school. Right. And like, I get it. It's, it's easier. It's the thing is it's easier on the adults. It's not easier on the kids because guess who's no longer home. The kids, they don't want to see the kids. They don't want to see the kids reaction to their personal choices. And so it's almost like they build this this layer of deception, right? For, for the kids thinking they're protecting them, right? We already addressed that like secrets are kept in order to protect other people. But if you're deceiving the reality, are you really protecting them? No. No. You are you are conditioning them to believe lies about the world. And the other thing is like I know that I don't talk about this on TikTok much, but the impact that the deceiving spouse has on the betrayed spouse, like the gaslighting and all of that, like I didn't really experience much of that in mine because I'm not a very good liar. Um, I have lied, but I'm not good at it. <laughs> uh, but the impact that that has, like a lot of these women come to my page and they're like, it's the fucking gaslighting. It's the gaslighting. And just the other day, like on Facebook, I saw some random post and this woman posts a picture of a receipt and two tickets to the San Francisco Zoo. And she says, ladies, help me out. My husband was supposed to be at work all day and I found these in his coat pocket. I wouldn't need to ask a stranger on the internet what the fuck is happening inside of my home. Like, I would know. I would know. And I would hope that I would have the mental fortitude to not be convinced otherwise. Right? Mm. But all, like, if you're not in the relationship, if you're not present in the relationship, you're actively manipulating other people. So what would you do there? What would I do with a with a kid in tow? And I would blow it up. I'd blow it up and I would get myself the help that I needed. I would tell my spouse, right? Like if she actually, I would either tell my spouse or tell someone that I trusted more than my spouse that would see me through uh, getting the help that I needed. Because it sounds like she really wants help, right? Like this, this is a woman who saw something on TikTok that made her feel compelled to reach out to me and ask for help. And I'm giving her my opinion of what I would do in that situation. So it's not lost on me that she actually does desire help in this situation. She just lacks the courage to get it. She fears, like, it's news. It's just news to everybody around you, right? And like, everyone has to reconcile their own reality with um, they have to reconcile like what they thought was happening with what was actually happening. And that's a very difficult thing to do. But after you tell somebody, everybody still exists after that moment. Nobody's going to die 
because you cheated, right? Like your, your child is still going to have a heartbeat, but like after you pop that bubble of secrecy, dishonesty, all of that, I think that's when Greece really gets going on self-development because then it's like you have nothing to be ashamed of anymore. Somebody else knows and it's a very human thing to do. It's a very human thing to do to fall in love. Now you can become a more evolved human by understanding why you feel compelled to fall in love with other people. But this, yeah. like these long-term affairs, I really think that these people have just been conditioned by their upbringing to live in deceit. So it perpetuates, right? Generational is how it keeps going. And nobody talks to these people because they're just ostracized by society. And I think that they're like in critical pain and that impacts the children in the homes. I think like the question is, how would you go about ending things without completely breaking it? You don't have control over whether someone is broken or not, right? You only have control over your own actions and your own choices. How, how yeah. that impacts somebody else is their responsibility to manage. And it really is like an affair is really a power control dynamic. And I learned that. I learned that about two months into the affair and I realized I was taking control over somebody else's reality. And you mean your, your ex? Yeah, I was taking control over his reality and changing it. Because it was because, secret, right? Because I didn't like my own reality. I didn't like my own reality. But I felt like he liked his own reality. So I needed to protect him. I needed to continue being the the submissive wife, the um, breadwinner, you know, like I didn't want to pull the rug out from underneath him, but what was that doing to me? And who am I actually responsible for? Me. Yeah. If you are the other woman in your relationship and you love this podcast, you would love the other women community. The other women community is a membership program designed to help other women just like you reclaim their relationship with themselves, and heal from their affair. We provide a safe and supportive environment for you to open up and talk about your experiences. We give you the tools and resources you need to grow into an authentic, empowered individual. If you're ready to take the next step in your healing journey, head on over to theotherwomanandthewife.com backslash community to learn more about the membership and all it has to offer. Next question. I've been seeing a married man for a year. I fell hard in love with him. He told me he was leaving her so many times. They have four children together and been together for 26 years. He said he was only there for the kids. Last week, he told me he has to choose his family as he can't do it with the kids. I'm truly heartbroken. I have even offered FWB. Do you know what that is? Friends with benefits. Oh, okay. Oh, ignorant me. I've even offered friends with benefits as I can't bear the thought of not talking to him constantly all day, every day, like we do. Please help. I am a mess. And this is a question from Emily. You have to get good at letting go in life. That's what I think. And not just in romantic relationships. I mean, letting go of past realities 
and letting go of your current reality to get to a future state that allows you to live more boldly, fully, authentically. And you will be shocked at how much more satisfaction you get out of that than being tied to your phone texting with a guy all day. You know, like the relationship served its purpose. He's made it clear that he's not going to leave. And it's important that we learn to respect other people's word because then we also learn to make other people respect our words. And once we start considering what we say really important, we can actually design a life that is important. Yeah, because there you are kind of constricting yourself on how he's going to choose, how he wants to live his life based. Yeah, on like if you, you notice like the part of it, right? Right. The tone of a lot of these messages that I get are he says, he does, and it's like you can tell that they're disconnected from self. You can tell that they're disconnected from self because they aren't actually addressing their own grievances. They are addressing a grievance that they have with someone else. And it's like, what's missing here? Like, do you actually know what you get out of this relationship? Do you, do you know why this person has this effect on you? And there's, there's, you know, a million fish in the sea. Plenty, plenty. And how can you be available to somebody who is available if you're stuck in something else? Like, how do you know that somebody else who is going to teach you more and love you better and all of that and love you fully isn't waiting in the trenches for you, you know? Yeah, just leap of faith in leap the end, right? Yes. It begs the question, right? How do you know it's the one? There is no such thing. Like, <laughs> it's all marketing, you guys. It's all marketing. Like, we've all been sold on a lie about love, the one and only, the happily ever after. And we've believed it for so long, so long, especially women. And they just sacrifice their own well-being in the name of love. And it's a trap we create for ourselves. I think you choose the one, right? It's like you, you find a person that is compatible to you. And I, like, but this is uh, when this, I have this, a... No, 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 Kevin. You and I are going to right. disagree on this one. And let me tell you why. If Stan dies tomorrow, am yes. I going to say that I lost the one? And, no, and I'll never recover? Else. Like, Sorry, Stan. no. If I want to, if I want to. Like, this is where... People people on TikTok say that I'm never going to be able to date if Stan dies because everyone's going to know I'm a cheater. And I'm like, you know what? Fuck that. They'll know that I'm honest. I'm an honest cheater. But like to say that my life, my romantic life would end because the one, Stan, no longer existed, I think is really selling myself short. It's really selling myself short. Why couldn't I enjoy getting to know somebody else and building a life with somebody else should Stan and I fall apart? And I think that when we say things like the one, soulmate, twin flame, all those buzzwords, 
we're we're limiting ourselves and we're building an expectation of a human that they probably don't know how to meet unless oh, yeah. we educate them on it but that's that's a growing relationship right and it's always going to change to say that Stan and I are the same people we were 5 years ago would be another lie yeah we're not the only constant is change. Like, yeah, but I th I think that when I when I mean like you choose the one is like you you meet someone that you are comfortable with and that you are able to be vulnerable around so that you can grow a relationship together and you're comfortable keeping on growing together. Yeah. Right? Yes. Then if that happens, if if anything happens, like the the growth can also grow apart and then like it's not the one anymore, but at that given like you choose the one at any given present time mm -hmm. it's like you choose to be in a relationship today you can also go away mm -hmm. if you want to so be like it's it's like a constant reminder of you are choosing to be in a relationship mm. without really this is what i think okay you can be the one for somebody else but you can't make them the one for you like if if we really are taking the approach of the only person that we control is ourselves, then the the only the one that can exist is like, I am the one for Stan. Right now, at our place in life, with our current reality, what I know of our current reality, I am the one for him. But I just don't know. I really just don't like blanket statements like the one. So let me get this straight. You say that you think you are the one for Stan. But Stan is not the one for you. In this moment in time, like, I just feel like the one is, like, all-encompassing in time. And, like, nobody can replace anybody else. I think that everybody has their own unique set of value add to society. So I, when I say, like, I am the one, like, I am the, the one Chelsea that exists. And, like, yes, I am in a relationship okay, with Stan. It. Does that make sense? It. Yeah. So and as are, long okay. as I am living authentically. That makes sense. Yeah. Because you are the one, like you are the only Chelsea, quote unquote, who is Chelsea in the most authentic way to him. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. you mean X to him, like you mean something to him. Do I mean something? I mean, yeah, I do. I, I mean, mean, like if, if you think I'm about if, if you think about just... Yeah, but if you if if you think about it just in terms of relationships, like you have friends, romantic or not, like you have friends, mm -hmm. they mean so like each friend means something to you. Yes. And yes. that is it. And each friend has a unique value proposition to you. Yes. So they have each a history friend, with me, and they have a, their own set of personality and. All of that, there, there are specific friends that I go to in specific times of need. For specific reasons, right? The, each yes. of them has a purpose. Some of them yes. are great listeners. Others are better at analyzing the situation. And if that is what yeah. you need, then you go to them, right? So I feel yeah. like that's the thing. Like Being the one is just being that one authentic individual. And you just choose to be romantic with them. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe yeah. Not. Who knows? Just brainstorming here. All right, Chelsea. So Janie asks, what would you do if the affair partner didn't tell his wife 
the full truth as he left out that he went physical. Would you tell her? Because I feel it is very unfair to her. It's not, it's not my story to share. Like I'm a big believer now in not inserting myself in somebody else's marriage and not delivering news that would cause an emotional rift that I can't take responsibility for. I could, I mean, with Stan, like I encouraged him to tell his wife, his ex-wife, what he had done. Why did I, why did I, why was that so important to me though? Like, was it important to me? I think looking back, the reason why it was important to me that he tell her was I was like, look, we just did something super deceitful. I want to see you be honest. I want to see you eat crow, basically. And I also wanted to see him do it because in the event that he cheats on me, I would want him to tell me. Oh, so it's a trust-building exercise. Right, right. And in case that trust-building exercise doesn't work out, I guess you also know that that there is no trust to be built. Right, because we were on the trajectory of like building a life together. And I, we, I would say for the first couple of years, both of us took every single opportunity we could to prove our trustworthiness to each other. Um, because initially it was like, oh, well, we just sacrificed our entire lives for each other. That, that wasn't enough for us to build a healthy relationship where we're not covered in anxiety over the absence of each other. There was one story where Stan, I was pregnant with our first and Stan was in Vegas with his cousin and I was very insecure about Stan being around, being around a club scene or anything like that. It really just, we had spent a lot of time in the club scene when we were in the affair. So it just made me feel like, oh my gosh, I'm just so replaceable to him and so I go on Facebook and there's a picture that his cousin posted and stands in a completely different outfit than when I left him in. And I panicked. I panicked. And so I call him and I'm like, get your fucking ass home or I'm done. And he was like, be right there. And so he runs out. There's no taxi cabs available. The line's too long. There's a limo. Uh, and he tells the guy like, hey, how much? I need to get home. I need to get home to her. And we weren't married at this point. Pays the man $200 for a lift to the house that we were staying at, which was about like a 10 mile drive. But him doing that, I think, was an effort of protecting my peace. But it was also demonstrating to himself that he was in this for the long haul. Like we had a lot of those experiences where we had to prove our trustworthiness to each other so that we could build a stable relationship. When was it enough? Um, after I had like spent, after I had spent like probably about a year and a half agonizing over, um, the, the thought of, him deserting me because I watched him, you know, basically desert his wife after I realized that wasn't in my control anymore. Like his, whether he was going to choose to desert me or not 
wasn't going to change whether I worried about it. Like if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Yeah. And how how does my attitude and behavior impact his overall demeanor? So it, it took you a, a year and a half to get over that mm-hmm. fear. Mm-hmm. Why do you think it took you so long? Because I didn't believe it. Like I didn't believe that a marriage could actually like an affair could result in a long-term marriage. I had seen my parents, but I thought that they were I thought that they were an exception to the rule. And I was very much the rule. Like I was gonna end up on shit side of statistics no matter what. And then I started to realize that like it's not so much the statistic as much as it is the story, right? Like the individual story. Yeah, there's so much more complexity that each of those each of those stories could offer us. So so what are the statistics right now? Something like 1% of affairs result in a long-term marriage. And when I say long-term marriage, a marriage lasting more than 5 years. I think that's a good statistic to share with everyone listening to this. The it's a it's such a such a sad one though. And the other thing is I think that the stats are flawed. I think that plenty of people cheat, get married, and do not tell anybody. They don't tell anybody. But it's also like a cautionary tale. It is a cautionary tale. In the other way, right? It's like, I think I I saw, like there's this Netflix documentary right now, like How to Get Rich. Oh my God, I started uh, watching that the other day. So did Julie. Yeah. So so How to Get Rich, I I loved it. And um, there is one person doing network marketing. Basically... That woman is doing network marketing. One of the months she did 13K in a month. And she reached a certain point where she had X amount of people. I think it was around 510. Like, sorry for the spoilers. 510 people under her. So she qualified to to get a Cadillac from the company, from the Uh products that she's selling. And she did get that Cadillac. But as time goes on, you kind of lose people. (laughs) And if you lose people, then you also lose the rights to to the Cadillac because the Cadillac was leased on her name and if she didn't meet the, the requirements, she had to pay for the lease, which uh-huh. is an enormous amount. I think it was around 600 bucks a month for, for a car. So what, what happened is that she was in belief that she could make it to the not, like to less than 1% of the people that are successful in network marketing because she did that one month oh. of 13K. Okay, okay. Yeah, I see. So she was in this belief she was in disbelief because like, uh, actually she was in belief because she did make it at some point. Like she made 13K in a month. And because she had that one experience, which was successful, she mm-hmm. believed that she could make it all the way to the top where the probability is less than a percent. Yeah. So that's where like, it's a cautionary tale to, okay, have a success story. And I guess affairs are also like that because you believe that you fell in love. You mm-hmm. are in a relationship with mm-hmm. someone, may that be official or not. And it's, there's still like this 1%, which is hanging over your head. And the question is like, how do you handle it? And how do you know you are the one? You don't. Like, I I remember, like, I look back at my wedding photos of me and Stan, and I see my face, and my face is just (laughs) covered in tears, like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm doing this. And uh, I guess if I've been divorced once, I could always get divorced again. I was very much like that, that 
you know, 99% of this not working out, it lived with me for so long. Like I let stats drive my decision making for most of my life. And then when the affair happened, I that was me driving my own life decisions without statistics involved. And mm. it felt really out of control. But it mm-hmm. but I still had that like I still had my knowledge. I still had, you know, my understanding of what it takes to make a marriage work and it was whether I could apply that in this relationship and also discover more about myself and be able to build the confidence to give voice to my thoughts and feelings to my partner. I think that women who are in <clears throat> relationships, they fear the reaction of their partner so much that they don't do it. They don't they don't give the voice to their thoughts and feelings. And that's what that's what leads to the deceit. Mm-hmm. The silence. Uh, why did you choose to remarry again? Remarry? That's a good question. Um I still felt like at that time it was important to my children to have their parents be married. So even, you know, us being in a relationship that we were working on, like our relationship hasn't been like, oh, stellar all the time. You know, it's been like, whoop, 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 whoop. It was so important to me that my children's parents were married. Mm-hmm. But then I realized that that was just an attachment to a belief system that I don't really subscribe to anymore. Yeah, because I was wondering, it's like, so how do you, your children, which come completely empty into the world, know that they should be married, right? Because of their parents. And like my kids daydream about being married all the time. Really? <laughs> And it bothers me so much. Because I'm like, figure out individual satisfaction first. Yeah. They're like, I'm six. I just want to be kissed on the lips. <laughs> Are they watching too much Disney? I don't know. No, I think that Disney does a great job. Like, to be honest, I think that motherhood, really? motherhood has schooled me. Oh, yeah. Like, Frozen is the tale of true love actually being between two sisters rather than a prince. Even though, like... You think, like the entire story, you're thinking like, oh, this is about true love between a man and a woman. And it's actually about the true love and the bond between two sisters. I think that Disney has done a great job of bringing new stories to the forefront and putting less focus on the happily ever after. Because in my childhood, all of the movies were the ha- happily ever after. And now it's not that. I think that they're actually educating children on emotional regulation through these films. Interesting. And how to like unapologetically be yourself. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast episode. We appreciate your support and would love to hear your thoughts on it. If you've made it this far, you're likely someone who is invested in the journey of being the other woman. We understand that this can be a difficult and complex experience, which is why we offer guided coaching to help you heal and move forward. We encourage you to explore the links in the episode description or visit theotherwomanandthewife.com slash coaching to learn more about our exclusive coaching program and apply today.
Thank you again for your support, and we look forward to seeing you in the next episode.